Hello and welcome to the Hot House Transplants podcast. I am your host, Matt Duffy. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are talking with the men and women who contributed to the Hot House Transplants book released back in 1997, over 25 years ago. You can see our website, hothousetransplants.com. That's where all the episodes are going to be released, the past ones, the future ones. I would encourage you, if you haven't, go back and listen to the first couple of episodes of the podcast. It's going to tell you a lot about why we're doing the podcast, and especially it's going to tell you about what the original Hot House Transplants book was about and why we did it in the first place. I hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you so much again for listening. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this. It's, it's so funny for me because I never met most of the people that shared their stories in the original book. So I have, you know, these, these glorious pictures from the book originally, you know, that you guys shared and I have your stories, but it's, it's kind of nice to see people face to face, so to speak, to some degree, at least. So I know we corresponded and then, um, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm also curious about, uh, you know, what led you to do the project originally and then, you know, to come, come back to it, but, uh, you're interviewing me, not me, you. So <laughs> what, well, ironically, so the design of the whole podcast is, is that it has turned into this sort of me answering some questions because most of the people have asked similar questions. So, um, hmm. yeah, it's the, the long and short of it was, um, I don't, I mean, honestly, the book never did well at all. Um, mm -hmm. it, and I don't think in hindsight, it was ever going to do very well. We didn't, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing at the time. It was just this, um, we grew up with this sense of people always having these critiques of homeschooling, especially in the beginning when we were doing it and it was a new thing for the most part. And, and, um, so it was really an opportunity to speak to some of the criticisms and concerns of the homeschool world and having everybody write their stories was a way to say, yes, there are concerns and here's sort of some people's personal stories to address some of those concerns. And, um, I actually have no right. idea how many ever sold or anything at this point, hmm. but. Um, okay. That's I, good. Just to remember just some of the motivation behind it there. And that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and I think to, to a large degree at the time, a lot of the concerns were very, were um, very negative. There, there was a lot of concern about if you're raised in homeschool context or environment, Will you be able to survive college? Will you be able to go to college? Will you be a functioning citizen? Will you be able to um, exist outside of that bubble of a homeschool world? Um, there were a lot of concerns. So that that was the design originally was to, to have people address some of those from their own experience. So what was ironic was it, the older I've gotten with my family, my kids, we tried homeschooling. And I think especially the last probably five to 10 years have been a lot of um, growing and learning and looking back and then having new experiences with our own family. And so my wife and I had a lot of conversations about um, when we tried to homeschool and the pros and the cons, and then that grew and grew. And I began to finally think about, man, it would be so interesting to hear what people's experiences are now. Are people having the same sort of experiences that I'm having now? Um and so that led into this idea of, oh, I'd be curious where the people from the book are. And it kind of grew. And then originally it was going to be, I should do a follow-up book. And then I was on a flight, I think, to California. And it dawned on me that, that that's not a book anybody wants to read anymore, not in today's culture. 
Um, but a podcast that's episodic, because that's really what these are, might mm-hmm. be more interesting. So we've been doing mm-hmm. a lot of recording and getting not only people from the the book originally, but there's a long list of people outside of even the book that's been so neat to go and hear their stories. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah. that's yeah. sort of the In- the big picture of the where the whole okay. thing came about. Yeah, and where and where are you based now, Matt? We're in Middle Tennessee. In Middle Tennessee, okay. Yeah. And was your family part of some like? I know there's like the Duffy. Was it Mary Duffy? Is that? My mom is Kathy. Yeah, Kathy. Or Kathy, Duffy. right? Yeah. And you did a newsletter and things. I don't or... know. No, she didn't have oh. a newsletter. I mean, but she was. She helped sort of pioneer a lot of the initial homeschool stuff in California, and then okay, kind of in the country. But she did. She wrote books, curriculum manuals. Maybe that's what, yeah. Educational games, speaking. I I still to this day have no clue about all the things that she was involved with. Um, hmm. it, it, it's an overwhelming list, quite frankly. But um, yeah. you might be thinking yeah. like Mary Pride was one of the big names um, back then. She had a newsletter. She was extremely involved with a lot of stuff. So yeah, okay, yeah. There's certain leaders, and and I guess we, you and I, must be in the similar age range and part of gen x and I, so we were probably somehow in an early wave of that kind of uh first wave homeschooler yeah. in america yeah i'm for, yeah. i'm 43 43 and a half or something so that and that's part of what's so fascinating is getting to catch up with people like yourself because we are in a very similar age and point of life i mean i don't know if you're married actually are you married mm-hmm. yeah so, yep mm-hmm. so especially that because a lot of us have very similar experiences now and have been thinking through very similar things and have been um, looking back at life in a lot of the similar, a lot of similar ways. And so it's especially interesting because I find that most of us are all within our early to mid forties for the most part. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, I, I think originally I'd send out a questionnaire list and that was mainly to give people this sense of, the things that I had been thinking about and processing through what I ended up doing very, very quickly was I got rid of that completely because I found the better way was simply to ask, uh, you know, very, very basic questions. So one of the the first questions I love to ask is if, if you can just share sort of a snapshot of what your homeschool experience was like growing up. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, my family moved three times major times while we were homeschooling we started in canada and i had one older sister it was me and her starting the homeschool then and then we moved my dad was planning a church in rapid city south dakota and we you know lived across from an elementary school and that was the phase kind of elementary and kind of junior high my parents started having more kids they had like five more kids eight years after me and then they moved to a rural area and kind of while I was in high school years and, uh, you know, we had nine people in a double wide trailer house and one room that we had a built on room to that double wide trailer house, which was like a parsonage of, you know, the trailer house was a parsonage to the church. My dad was a pastor of in this rural part of South Dakota and the, this built-on room was kind of the playroom and the schoolroom and the everything room. And so um, in that room, I remember we got our first, you know, PC 386 or whatever. And oh, wow. me, yeah. So like when it comes, that, that's just a little bit of background. I think that maybe explains my answer to the question. So 
uh, we had a, I'd say a somewhat chaotic environment. My old, my older sister and I were sort of high school age. And then we had all these younger kids in the house and, and uh, trying to learn in that environment, I think was a little tough. And we would often go over to the church and my sister and I and try to do our own math. So our kind of homeschool environment, as I remember, it was like, here are your books, you know, Saxon math books and try to teach yourself math. And um, on the core subjects, you know, and then we'd have curriculum, like my dad would read history, the, I can't remember if it was a Becca, I enjoyed the history that was good. And, you know, we were probably strong in a few areas that my parents were strong in. They both, my, both my parents have master's degrees, um, but we were weak in areas that a lot of homeschoolers are typically weak in, such as, you know, science, I think, or math. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, um, regarding math, you know, I was someone who, I, I think my sister also, we tested always high, super high, hundred, you know, 99% or whatever, um, until we got to seventh grade, eighth grade. And, you know, what we were told was, okay, you don't need to do any math higher than basic algebra. And so, um, we questioned that, you know, like, are you sure? Don't we need to learn trigonometry, these other areas? No, no, no. This is all you need in life. And that was, you know, to be fair to my parents, that was a little bit of pers in a rural area. A lot of people kind of had that, not even non-homeschoolers. There was a sense of, you know, you don't need high level math perhaps, but um, it, it did bite me in the rear end later because uh, I mean, that's kind of getting ahead of the story and, and beyond your question perhaps, but um so I could, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that story if you want me to later. But so I, I think in general, there was a little, a little bit of chaos, um, the a little bit of on our ownness, you know, for my sister and I in our high school years, we ended up, um, we ended up, uh, the computer was a good thing for me. I learned to type and that, and, and that I could write and, you know, connect to different worlds. I was able to, um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think I, did some subjects on early CD-ROMs and things like that, but we were very isolated. There's a little bit of fellowship with other, you know, homeschool families, maybe in the rural area, but not so much. And we were part of the Bill Gothard ATIA program, yeah. which I, you know, my parents, God bless them. I think we're trying to find ways for us to connect to larger groups or you know, people, peers and homeschool communities and stuff like that. So that provided some connection, but I don't think it was all good connection or good philosophy. I'm a critic of Bill Gothard and ATIA um, as someone who was part of that. And my sister, just to, for the record, is was part of lawsuits against Bill Gothard. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, for inappropriate behavior was the allegations in the lawsuit, which has been written about in many places. So, and, and ultimately, um, I think my parents had great intentions and did some things very well and, um, and did their best. And maybe, you know, it's hard to say how the education they gave us would have compared to some of the rural schoolhouses where we would have gone for K to eight or to some of these rural high schools um, in the area. Um, so I'm not saying they did the worst thing. I'm just saying that it, you know, it, 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 it wasn't, in, it was a little bit chaotic and isolated and, you know, I took a GED to cap the story, I guess, you know, to that question, I took a GED at age 16 and went and worked at a newspaper in Indiana. And I think that might've been what I 
the time when you asked me to write the chapter in the book and is, some, yep. some of what I wrote about. I can't even remember what I wrote in the book because I don't have it in front of me. Yep. You did. You talked about that, actually, as your story here. And probably in the book, I tried to couch it all positively. But now on the podcast, I'm couching it with sort of more of a mixed review as I look back 25 years ago. But that's to, to that singular point. I mean, that's the that's the desire that the, the podcast is neither a pro nor a con. It's it's this opportunity for people to share their authentic experiences, because that's one of the things I wish was um, I don't feel like the homeschool community is as open and honest about some of the things that don't reflect as well on it. And there's some really, really good things, but there are some things that I wish they would just talk about more openly and honestly. So, and that's not a desire to tear anybody down or, or uh, paint it in a negative light. It is to say though, that these are real stories. And I think people need to hear the things that you're sharing because as they either in homeschooling or considering it, it'd be very valuable to go, Oh, that's interesting. That's something I need to be aware of maybe guard against or, you know, whatever it might be. So that's exactly the kind of thing I want to come out. Just whatever's authentically your experience is great. Mm -hmm. so, Good. Yeah, you did. Uh, you did talk about that. It was interesting because it, most of the stories are very positive. And, and that's one of the things that's so interesting now to catch up with people is because we've all had, you know, 25 years to think and to grow and to learn and to reevaluate. So it's really neat. And most of the stories have tweaks now versus hmm. when they were originally done. So, well, and let's face it, when you're a teenager and you're, you know, you're in your parents' home or under their authority um, and, and you know, there's a little bit of enforced boosterism. I don't want to call it that you're under duress, but you right. are definitely under their influence and, yeah. and are not really allowed to, uh, to be critical or you're fearful to be critical. And, and, you know, it's hard to, uh, so a lot of us who probably, when we wrote those chapters, um, you know, we're speaking honestly as we could then, but also maybe giving a little bit of PR for the, for the community and the families yeah. that we were taught to and supposed to. Now, do you know why your parents started homeschooling in the first place? Like what made them want to do that with you guys? Um, I'm a little fuzzy on it, but I think um, the story I heard was like we lived in Canada and, and around the time my mom wanted was going to send us to school. She just felt, you know, just had she liked her kids and wanted to keep them home and teach them herself. And, you know, kind of the, my parents likes others. Um, in our generation of homeschoolers were sort of Christian hippies, you know, like photos show the bell bottoms and the guitars and the Afro. My dad had an Afro and like kind of, you know, loved Jesus and loved youth groups. And they were kind of countercultural in a way. And so for yeah. them, I think, you know, homeschooling was a way to challenge the man. It was like, um, I don't know what the equivalent today is, but uh, maybe driving an electric car or something. <laughs> you know, It's like, early on it was just a, some, a way to be different and i think that was they were part of that kind of movement trying to think differently eat healthy food eat uh health food and um uh you know um and and yeah and it was just counterculture so you, you said that you guys were up in canada but then moved down to south dakota mm -hmm. did I have that yeah right? yeah and, and did they plant this church is that what you yep. mentioned yeah so, so again kind of startup mentality my dad was planning a church for what was called the baptist general conference then which is like a swedish oh, okay 
kind of a Swedish Baptist conference with roots kind of in the upper Midwest. It's now called Converge. And um, so he was planting a church for them in uh, Rapid City. And we met in the YMCA. And, you know, one interesting point about that, you know, so he was starting this church, it would grow, and then some people might leave here and there. And it was, you know, we, they were doing that for eight or 10 years. And, and, and it seemed at times it was going to thrive and build a building and stuff. And then at one point, I don't know all the reasons why now, but it, you know, it kind of split. And then, you know, my dad decided he was tired and um, we moved on to this r- rural church that was non-denominational. And one interesting thing was there were times when my dad was candidating at different churches in South Dakota or Minnesota. And we were this big family of like nine people and we were homeschoolers. And it was so interesting that there, I can remember many times, like two or three different places where we were in consideration for my dad to be a pastor at a church in a little mm-hmm. town. Right. And that little town had a school that was, you know, the church and the school were kind of the two glues for the town. Yeah. And most of the church got, went to the public school. And so um, I remember as a kid kind of hoping, Oh, well, this would be so cool to move to this town. And this seems like a good fit. Um, and everything seemed to line up, but the homeschooling piece was a little, little bit of a, a sore, th- uh, like a, it was like a, a, a toe, big toe that was stubbed or d- it didn't fit. And, um, and we would hear that, you know, that like, Oh, you know, you were a finalist, but you know, what, the way you communicated, the fact that you guys homeschool, the way you communicate about it makes you kind of an odd duck in our community. So we're going to go with someone else. And that's interesting to realize how that kind of limited our family in some ways. And to me, it, one of my critiques, I think, Matt, about homeschooling is really kind of the separation issue and the issue that like, I, I in my, my life today, I, I really believe in community and uh, being around fellow believers. And, and that's super important, having friends who are believers, but not only believers that I, I, I really value friendships, being around believers of different types and, and stripes. And I travel a lot for my work. I work in education and nonprofits. And I, I have friends who are Catholics and Orthodox and Christians all over the world and Africa and Latin America. And so Christianity and Jesus is much bigger to me than America. It's much bigger than homeschool people and um, bigger, broader, more, you know, breadth and depth historically. And, and, and I also think that Jesus was a person who lived with neighbors. And I honestly just, to me, one of the critiques I, I, of homeschooling that lasting, lasting to me is that I think it's too, it was too isolating for me. I think as a person, I'm a journalist, I'm a curious person. I like to be, um, to interact with a lot of people. And, and I just think that, um, homeschooling had in our family or in, you know, in my early life, um, was an isolating factor and a separation factor in a way that, um, that, anecdote I you know gave you about sort of the church plant thing I, I understand those people I understand why why my family came across sometimes as self-righteous you know we are better than them we we reject your home we reject your public school system we want you to hire us to be you know lead your church but we don't reject some of the other pillars in your community that create you know um, kind of shared experiences in sports and all these things and it, I think looking back, I mean, um, I find it a little discordant or, you know, uh, kind of unfortunate. It's interesting. The, um, you've brought up so many topics in what you just said that I love. So if I could, let me go back and 
ask questions about some of the things I just heard you say, because you just hit on probably three or four of the really big things I love to hear about where people's, what their perspective is. So one of those, back to the way you were raised, it sounds like for the most part, in the context that you guys were in with the family, in the isolation, you you had some homeschool families around you, but not many. And were those primarily the only friends you guys had was those other homeschoolers? Um, yes and no. So like we, I'm trying to think how many families I, I remember like a few get togethers of uh, a few homeschool families that we put out a newspaper in rural South Dakota, like once or twice, but you know, they're, they're very rare get togethers. Okay. Um, and the, the homeschool families there, you know, um, like at my church, I don't, I can't recall the church where my dad pastored. I can't recall that there were any other homeschool families. Um, so we were the only one, but we, we have, but we fit in there a little better because, you know, homeschooling was kind of like going to the little K to eight school. It was, they, that was kind of like homeschooling. You had two teachers and, you know, a little country sure. school. And then you go to the high school, you know, after eighth grade and that little K to eight school, our little town was called Opal. It was not really a town. It was a ranching community that had a post office in one lady's basement. And wow. then it had like this little school three miles up the gravel road. And our, my dad's church was 1.5 miles in between the two of them. And that was the town. And wow. so, you know, and, and the, like that little school would let, um, I played on the basketball team with the Opal Braves and I got to do the, you know, we did the, I don't know, like little math Olympiad and different stuff like that. They were, they didn't, um, you know, I don't, I, don't, I think they didn't, they would have preferred us to go to the school there, but there was a little more acceptance. I think it got more difficult as we got to high school and everybody was picking high schools to go to, but that, that ranch community was way more accepting, even though it had not too many homeschoolers in its uh, environment. But um, yeah, so I think that answers the question. And there just wasn't a lot of, there was just distance. I mean, the, the one homeschool family I, I can recall um, that kind of spearheaded this, some kind of little newspaper pottery, like they were friends of ours um, and they hosted it. They went to a different church, but they lived like 20, 30, you know, 20 miles away, if I recall, 15 oh, wow. miles away. And, and so we'd see them sometimes and their kids all went to a Christian high school on the East side of the state. But, you know, back to, I think to close out that question, like there was a good natural community though, the homeschool people in that community, you know, everybody were ran was ranchers. We'd all help each other at brandings and go to, you know, sledding parties and ski parties. So my family was frankly living in poverty. I mean, we were under the nine people making $18,000 a year or less, you know, living under the, on, frankly, on a, a, you know, poverty kind of salary. So we were not as wealthy as a lot of people in the area there, but we, in terms of, um, I, I don't think we felt ostracized, you know, for homeschooling. I think, um, I think maybe it got a little weirder as we got to high school and, you know, I was a decent athlete and, you know, and, and, and I think people, you know, I wanted to, to, to compete and, and, uh, do a lot of things in high school, like, you know, the learning and the athletics and all music and stuff like that. And so I think that's where it got a little more difficult for my sister and I to feel included in the community. Everybody our age was going off to high schools and we weren't, we ended up taking GEDs and going to the Gothard world and, you know, mentors doing internships in my case. And, um, and, you know, working for Gothard, the Gothard world and planning not to go to high school or college, essentially. And that was definitely a little, that was kind of like a little 
odd break, I think, from the uh, more integrated community that we were part of. So were you guys in the South Dakota, the same spot all the way through till even after 16 until you went to Indiana? Um, yeah. And then my family then moved while I was, uh, I think in Indianapolis, in Indianapolis working. Yeah. They moved to a, across the state and, um, my dad took a job in sales and I think kind of realized like we could just can't live this way, you know, and it's kind of salary forever. I like that they waited for you to leave the house and then they moved. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, uh, Interesting. And and so what are you, you, okay, so you had your sister and yourself, and then you said you had, I think, five underneath you guys. What's the, what's the next youngest underneath you? The uh, next oldest. Yeah. The next oldest is eight years younger than me. So he's okay. 36, wow. 35 or 36 now. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big gap then growing up, like you were yeah. saying that. Okay. So you and your sister were really kind of like, you had you two with this kind of experience and then your siblings really had a very different probably experience at least yes. in some ways than you did oh definitely yeah we had a kind of a first batch second batch kind of yeah. effect and yeah my parents were older than raising the younger batch and they were you know my parents had uh a reversal you know vasectomy and then reversal mm, and then okay. five more kids so that was another interesting kind of movement in the gothard wow. world and maybe beyond of like hey it's you know your quiver you only had two in your quiver you need more and you yes. know and don't so, you feel shame? Right, right, right. So they, they had more. Yeah. It's interesting. I have, I have friends that also did uh, the ATI and mm-hmm. um, homeschool families did it. And the kids, the ones that were friends of mine just really did not like it at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the same sort of sentiments that you were expressing or things that they were expressing same age as we are. Um, so mm. same, same time frame and everything. Huh. Um, so when your dad was, he was interviewing at other churches um, to become a pastor, mm-hmm. is this 16 and younger for you? Or was this after you had moved to, that was, yeah. I think it was 16 and younger. And I, and I think he kind of realized like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get a job because, you know, my, you know, I'm not going to get a job at a church. That's a, like the, the kind that our family wants to be at because we're too weird, <laughs> you know, like we're too oddball, you know? And it's interesting you bring that up because and, I think that that was one of the criticisms of homeschooling that people were concerned about was, will you basically, um, will you basically be sort of the, the odd people out? And would that be, would that cause an isolation from the rest of culture in some capacity? And um, it's not that that always is the case, but it sounds like in your guys' case, that did contribute. Yeah. And I don't mean like, you know, I don't mean that uh, we were socially, I mean, maybe we were socially awkward, some some people in my family, but like, <laughs> but but I think it was just the fact that we were culture jamming and had this big family and doing, not going to the school system and had this kind of um, a philosophy, a different education philosophy. I think that was the oddball thing. So interesting that I have not heard this very often, actually, that in a church context, usually what I hear is people are fairly open to the homeschooling community and they they welcome theirs. It's very positive. Yours is a very different sort of experience. Do you, was that was that primarily because of your dad trying to become the pastor, do you think? Uh, I think so. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, because I think a pastor, I think a, a church is much more welcoming of many types of families and is just glad to see numbers and people worshiping Jesus and all. I think it's really, I think if you have a church, though, where you have anywhere from, you know, 30, 40 percent or more, you know, 
people who go to the public school, um, it becomes an issue, right? And, and, you know, especially most of these churches had zero homeschoolers or a few families or something. And and so if it's a, you know, pro, uh, Protestant church, it's like, whether, whether it's, you know, an elder structure or a democracy structure, like you just often just don't get the votes or the nods because it's, um, if you're looking at a few candidates, um, yeah, the, 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 you know, the, um, the, I think the homeschool thing was just, it was just like, it just like didn't fit. It just didn't yeah. fit the community. Um, and I guess to some degree, it makes sense as you're describing this, because the, if you're looking for a leader of your church, you want that, um, you want the leader of that church and his family to, to be integrated into the aspects of the community that are big. And then what you described, it sounds like the, the, the school is a, that was a large component to what was going on in this community. And so to be outside of that context automatically was going to put you outside of some of those connectivities, some of the relationships, some of those fears and contexts that everybody else experienced. So I guess kind of, I kind of get the reasoning behind it. So you had mentioned another big thing, spiritual superiority. Mm -hmm. Um, Was that, did at the time you feel that way about yourself that, that you as a homeschooling family were better either academically or spiritually because you were homeschooling? Or is this something that's more of in hindsight, you, you have this perspective? Well, in hindsight, I'm ashamed of it. In hindsight, I'm, I'm disgusted by that. What I think was self-righteousness that either, you know, that I guess I believed or parroted, but learned from uh, the homeschool, like, especially the Gothard uh, program and ATA, ATIA program. I mean, at their conferences, the annual Bill Gothard conferences with like 10,000 people would come to in Tennessee at, you know, Knoxville, they would put banners up in this Knoxville basketball arena that said things like, you know, we're giving the world a new approach to life, you know, things like that. These slogans that were designed mantras, propaganda, basically designed to say like, we're the best. And the rest of, it's almost like, you know, like, um, uh, Hasidic Jews or, you know, super, the, the Wahhabi Muslims, it's almost like thinking like, you know, the rest of the Muslims are bad, but we're the best because we're the most serious. And it was like a little bit of that. We are the, we are the within American Christianity and even within evangelical Protestantism, uh, we are following God's plan the mo- the best and our children will be the president of the United States. And, you know, and it's very arrogant, I think very shallow and, um, and also very, ignorant in my view of um, how educate, you know, I think it is ignorant of on a few different levels. I mean, one huge category is just very ignorant of higher education system and basic data that, I mean, Bill Gothard often, you know, wanted, said college is bad. You shouldn't go to college. He tried to start a law school, a correspondence law school where you could take the bar and, um, you know, without having to go in class, it was, on, it was not online then, it was um, correspondence by mail. I was in that for six months at one point when I was 17, that school. And, and, and this idea is you can just clip out of college, go to law school, and then go fight battles in public interest law. And uh, this is my revenge on the higher education system. And look, I work in higher ed now. Um, and I actually work, I work at a Christian college. We have homeschool students who go to that college. So that's interesting dynamic. And I, I, so I, I will fully, you know, I would fully admit there's issues and problems in, in higher education. So, so one can critique 
in a higher ed, but but I also think there's a there was a huge lack of understanding that basic socioeconomic data that shows, hey, people who get a bachelor's degree make more money and have more options in life. And some fields you might want to work in, you have to have a bachelor's or a master's or a you know a doctorate. If you want to be a medical doctor, you can't homeschool your way into that and reject the higher education system. You, you know, you can try, but your printed out diploma on your wall that says you know <laughs> homeschool college or you know isn't going to go very far. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. I, the the reason that particular topic um, catches my attention is because I had a similar experience in our in one of our churches growing up was. There was really, and I mean, no offense to them. Um, there was in the youth group, there was two distinct factions. There was the Awana homeschool Christians, and then there was the public school Christians. Hmm. And they were completely separate, literally separate. And at the time, because I was homeschooled, I wasn't in Awana, but I was with more of the homeschool group. You almost, I, I didn't really connect what was going on. As I got older, looking back, you just sort of weep for the, it's the antithesis of the body of Christ Yeah, by doing that. But that's what we were doing. And there was a spiritual superiority, not only because of homeschooling, but also because they were in Awana. There was just mm-hmm. this sense of we're, we're better Christians because we're doing this and we're better educated because we're doing this. And, and, and you just never saw these two different groups of people connect relationally, spiritually in a mm. church. And um, I've I hear I've heard this same story quite a few times now, and um, it's just it is sad. It's heartbreaking to hear that this has gone on quite a lot of times. It seems like, but yeah, yeah. Okay, so that helps a lot. I'm sure you're figuring out. So a lot of what I do is I'm trying to just really understand the picture of what your experiences were like because what's so interesting to me is you know, you have the book and you have those stories. And it's just like you said, we get this, we get a glimpse. It's a moment in time, really, for a lot of us. And it's our thoughts and feelings and perspectives in that moment in time. What I find fascinating is if you back it all up and you get the backstory, just like what you're doing, it fills in so much of this beautiful picture about what life was like and what you've experienced. Um, And that makes a huge difference then moving on and looking at the rest of life and the things that and the thing, the things that you think now, and the things you've experienced now. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, so you went to Indiana, and that is kind of where the book picks up for you, um, the Indianapolis News. And and uh, it, you're one of the stories where it seems like the trajectory that you wrote about is almost exactly the trajectory you stayed with, because most everything in here, it's all um, journalism, following what God has gifted you in writing education. Yeah. I mean, you talked about um, all these different publications that you wrote for the Rapid City Journal, White Bear Press, Minneapolis Star Tribune, Group Practice Journals, Minnesota Sports. Hmm. It it was a lot of stuff, but it it sounds like your trajectory kind of continued with what you wrote, but you described, so around 17, Mm -hmm. you did the correspondence course. Yeah. I think what is that? Yeah, well, so, yeah, so I, I can't remember if it was before or after that chapter I wrote there, but yeah, uh, uh, so there was Bill Gothard, you know, he had all these young people, all these families, and he had to figure out stuff to do with them. So they would get hotels where people would work with juvenile delinquents in Indiana or different parts of the country. Major cities would, you know, give him a hotel for free kind of to to um, do work in the city. And he would have 
15, 16 year olds trying to counsel juvenile delinquents. Um, oh, and I wow. did that, that stuff too. Um, it, but then at one point, uh, a homeschool dad in the ATIA world named Roger Magnuson, who lived in Minnesota and was partnered a law firm. He, um, he was, I think, the dean of the Oak Brook College of Law, which is what the law school that Bill Gothard started in California. He basically had homeschool kids. Yeah, I know that name. Yep. Yeah, he had homeschool kids start this law school basically, and and they they enlisted homeschool dads to be deans and professors, and pretty fascinating. Um, and I, I at one point I was interested maybe in going to law school. I thought that might be something to do, and so uh, I didn't I didn't think I wanted to do that school necessarily or in particular, but um, Roger Magnuson, the Dean of the place, he had a whole bunch of kids and lived in a nice house on Wiper Lake in Minnesota. And I must've actually, I, this, I think I wrote the chapter after I went to, to live with him. So he, anyways, he needed a nanny and a tutor. And so they wanted a brother and sister. And so somehow Bill Gothard's group called my family and, enlisted my sister and I, when we were like 16, 17, 17, 18 to go out there for a school year. And that's when I, I was then, you know, the idea was I would enroll in that law school and so-called like apprentice with Roger at his firm or something. And then my sister would be a nanny. So that was a great year because frankly, we were living with a wealthier family and, you know, he was a lawyer for Porsche and George oh, wow. Bush and like big entities. And he drove a Porsche and had me drive it a couple times, you know, like, so um, what a different life all of a sudden. Yeah. So <laughs> just like, experiences. Just, yeah. Just different experience. Like my parents were, you know, educated people too, but you know um, you know, we were living with, to live with a multimillionaire who lived on a lake was an interesting kind of lens on, on the world for me. And, um, and it was a good year and they were a wonderful family in so many ways. Um, in fact, I've reconnected with, with the sons that I tutored um, uh, at least one of them on, on LinkedIn recently and had a good time reminiscing of, of, you know, playing tennis at the tennis club and stuff like that. And anyways, but on the, on the, you know, I was very lonely in the basement trying to do this correspondence school, listening to cassette tapes and writing case reviews. And I remember just being like pretty bored and it turned out I didn't really, it wasn't really an apprenticeship. Like I there's nothing I could do for Roger at his firm, you know, so that wasn't, didn't, didn't really exist. So I was most, you know, mostly just enjoying life in, the, in a lakefront house with a nice family. And, and I just, I was just not interested in the, I just had this overwhelming sense like this. I'm not supposed to be studying law at 17 years old and I'm trying to grow up too fast here. And I, and I, I, um, I think I need to go to college first. And I, I remember the weekend I moved in with them, Roger was driving me around at the Porsche and we stopped to, you know, put air in the tire or something. And I remember I asked him, I said, Roger, would you send your kids to this school, to this law school and do what I'm doing, like not go to college first? And he couldn't answer me. And he, you know, mm. he basically said, that's a good question, you know, and he looked the other way and I said, well, you can't answer me, can you? He's like, no. And, and so that I, I when I, I dropped out after a few months, cause I just said, this isn't, this isn't for me, this law school at this time. And, and I think he understood and I, um, I started freelancing and found my way back to Indiana to get back into journalism and frankly, to get on a path to go to college. And, and I, you know, two years later, I think I went to college. Um, so it was funny because I took a GED at age 15 or 16. It was some, some sense ahead of the game. And in some sense, certainly the thesis of Hothouse, I still, whatever I wrote, I probably still would agree that like my weird life, my, you know, weird education allowed me to go deep 
into a field and to advance in a field in a weird way. But frankly, it was partly because of luck and partly because of, you know, these homeschool, like the homeschool network in a sense, like a homeschool, homeschool dads mentored me. And, but I ended up meeting, you know, some of the most key people um, in that network or that realm that, that mentored me um, in Indiana and helped get me sort of ahead as a journalist for when I did go to college, you know? So it's almost like, like the homeschool, you know, my experience, like, you know, one can, you know, the, the, the bad things of my experience are not universal for every homeschooled family or person. And the good things and the amazing things about my experience are also not universal, you know, for every homeschooled people. So, you know, whatever, whoever listens to this or however, however this gets used, like in my view, it's like, um, there's probably some insights and lessons we can glean from your talking to all me and all these other people, but yet, um, um, you know, like probably none of our singular stories though are definitive, you know, reasons right. why, um, homeschooling is bad or homeschooling good, you know? I totally agree. And that's part of what I love about it is, is it's not designed to be, Hey, you, you're struggling with your child. Listen to this podcast is going to solve all your issues or listen to this story. It's not that at all. It's, there are some similarities and um, there are some common things that I hear more often, um, pro, both pro and con. And so it's interesting to, to, it's interesting to see the patterns. I love patterns. Patterns to me are really sort of fascinating. So, um, so I'm curious because it, thinking about how, how the, the, the ATI, was basically saying, don't worry about moving on to college or I guess not high school. It encouraged going through the homeschool process through high school, but it was saying, do not, you don't need to go to college. Did I get that correct? Yeah. Oh yeah. So you graduate early with your GED. When you decided that or realized that you, with what you wanted to do, that college was probably a necessity. Did, did you go back and talk to your parents about that? Or did you, did you have that conversation with them? So this is a, so I always was fascinated by colleges. And even when I was like 14, 15 years old, uh, I would get Christianity today at our house. And I would, they had all these Christian colleges with advertisements and I would oh, yeah. call that call the 800 number back then. And, and they would send me catalogs and I would, um, and I got, you know, I had a mountain of catalogs of colleges in my room, in the room I shared with three brothers, you know, four brothers or something. And I would look through them, I would read them. And I was like, kind of like, it was a fantasy land. It was this place I really wanted to go, but I knew it was too expensive hmm. and also kind of verboten. And I think I thought, well, maybe a Christian college would be acceptable in the world that I was growing up in. But um, uh, when I decided to drop out of the law school. And I went back, I worked for my mentor in Indiana at a newspaper. And I, he and I had the kind of relationship where I could talk openly about kind of these kinds of issues. And, and I think it opened his eyes that I should go to college and he was a homeschool dad and that he should consider letting his kids go to college. Um, the kinds of things, the insights you and I are talking about, I think. And so, and then it was a choice. Um, then I had talked to my parents, like you asked about. So uh, but what I started doing, I remember talking, you know, you're a kid, you don't know how, like, I remember talking with a uh, kind of a friend politician person or something in Minnesota who he basically said, well, Paul, he's like, you know, it's on you, dude. Like you can 
kibbutz all you want, but like, you know, if you want to go to college, you need to go visit campuses. You need to, you know, do more than just flip through the catalog. You need to, did you take the SAT, the ACT? I said, no. And he's like, what's that? And he's like, well, you got to go take that dude. And he's like, you know, and I took it and didn't do that as well as I want. He's like, well, you need to study and buy one of these. So I had people like, and that's really fascinating that like, it's really fascinating. I'm, I'm amazed how well I did actually on those tests. Like I, I forgot, uh, uh, I came late to one and, you know, I wasn't, we weren't, a lot of us were not prepared or schooled to like get into uh, elite colleges or even how to succeed in college. So anyways, but I mentors like that helped me figure it out. And basically I started doing research and visiting lots of campuses and, I, I considered a couple of schools in Indiana and, and, um, and then applied to some schools in South Dakota. And frankly, just by like talking to different people and trying to find out how to pay for college, um, I found a, a full ride scholarship and applied to, to that and received that at the university of South Dakota oh, for wow. journalism, actually. Um, um, and, you know, the, the interesting thing to me was, even when I figured out how to pay for college completely, you know, uh, full ride scholarship and um, and faculty assistant to a famous political science professor and stuff like my parents still had they were especially my mother was still into the Gothard thing and crying and like, you know, worried I was going to lose my faith. And yeah. I had to make a deal with them. I wasn't going to live in the dorms that I, I so I rented. I, I qualified as a non-trad because I'd been out of college for a year. So I rented a room in an old people's house, like in the upper floor, like a separate entrance with some grad students rented. And I, you know, basically had ramen noodles and I separated myself the first year or two a bit from the college culture. You know, that was the only way I could convince my parents that I was going to be okay. And I also had to drive home almost every weekend um, to try to go to church with them and see my younger siblings. And I actually had some car, not car accidents, but I was so tired sometimes on Sundays from driving eight hours you know, or, or four hours back and forth and back and forth to family things that I fell asleep and like flip, you know, went off the highway, almost hit um, bridge piers and stuff like that. Because like, I was trying to be the good son, trying to like maintain the, uh, um, you know, the risk, you know, the, uh, the, the goodwill with my homeschool family, which they were going to my mom had really, you know, especially the kid in the, taking the family into a, a very, I'd say fundamentalist uh, church at the time. And at some point, I think in that freshman year, I just, again, had to not, I'd already made the break with homeschooling or the, an ATIA and kind of left that in the rear window. And then I think as I was in college and kind of having to like, frankly, fight my parents on things like first to go to college two to say like, Hey, this isn't healthy for me to, um, it's, it's cutting in. I'm almost going to fail classes if I have to always be coming home every time you want. And, um, and then little things. I remember, you know, I had a little bit of money, so I'd buy a coat to like fit in, you know, like a Columbia coat was popular in the nineties or Doc Martin shoes. And I remember my mom thought I was wasting money and I'm, I realized, you know what? I am an adult here. I, at some point, especially when I'm 18, like you don't have authority over me anymore and we need to establish some boundaries. And that was, a process that, um, you know, took a couple of years, but I think a process that's another kind of trend. And I'm curious if you see it across people you talk to, but there's a ton of very, un, there's, to me, there was extremely unhealthy boundaries and a sense of my children are my property, my children are my chattel, um, almost like slavery, you might say, I mean, I don't, that's a, I don't, that's a, a terrible analogy. So I shouldn't even make that, but like 
property, I think is the way to say it, where it's like my children, you know, I think some homeschool parents have this sense that my children, I'm there are, it's like a remote control situation. I can control them for the, my entire life and they will do what I want to some degree and they will make me happy and proud. And in addition to making Jesus happy and proud, and they will take care of me when I'm older or something, you know, and I, um, I certainly don't want to raise my kids in in that manner. And I don't think it's healthy, you know, and I don't think it was healthy or is healthy for families, for people to, because it's, it's lacking. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's violating the idea in the Bible and in Christianity that we're made in the image of God. We're not made in the image of my, of your mother or your father. And that a personhood, personhood, meaning that we're each, um, you know, created differently and uniquely and that we have choices in adulthood and, and, um, and human development. And, um, you know, so I think that's my view. I don't know if that's a controversial view. I don't think it is, shouldn't be, but I guess, you know, maybe in the Gothard world, that kind of thing is a controversial view and I don't care. (laughs) So I don't think it's controversial, at least for me, it's not controversial. It's, it's a very real thing that I don't think it's talked about very much. And there are some stories that we've already recorded where the control was a, a, a deep problem um, and really did some damage to kids. What was fascinating was usually what we hear is out of good intentions, the parents are exercising control over their kids in a lot of different ways because they're afraid. They're afraid if they don't control that the kids are going to make a bad choice and that will either destroy their life, destroy them spiritually, um, embarrass the parents. That's one that's come up repeatedly. And so that there's almost this sense of you have to do what they're saying, or I'm going to reflect poorly on my parents. Or um, there was even this, this sense of if, if, especially early on in the homeschool world, if you don't do well, then we're humiliated because here we are homeschooling and we're doing this weird thing. And if this doesn't go well, we're going to feel like fools to other people. And so out of these fears, there was, there are these patterns of control that, that, that did come out a lot. And I think that is one of the, because it's so applicable even today that even if you're not in the homeschool context, that we as parents, as people can do the same sorts of things where we try to control things uh, either out of fear or, even with our kids, if they're not even in, even homeschooling, we can still have that sense of, I want to try to control. I want to try to, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, and look, and it's, you know, to be fair to our parents, it's, you're right. It's a natural instinct um, for any of, I have two kids and, you know, like, you know, how much do we control devices and screen time and stuff? You know, in one sense, we know we have to, but at the other sense, you you know, if you, do you, do you not let them use devices at all? Or, I mean, it's right. So it's not easy being a parent. And I, yep. I think that's worth stating that, you know, again, our, my, I look, and this is an interesting point too, is that, you know, there's an, there's a growth of, in estrangement in families that young people, according to some articles I've read in the Atlantic, et cetera. And certainly in my family, um, you know, uh, like I had conflict and set boundaries with my parents early on. That was maybe painful for them and probably for me too, in some ways, but I feel like that allowed me to maintain a relationship with them. They're coming to visit a few days, you know, and like, um, uh, and whereas some of my siblings, 
you know, uh, are estranged from them. Don't call them by their, uh, don't call them mom and dad. Um, don't invite them to their weddings and those kinds of events, you know? So, um, that's interesting. You say that because one of the other families I know that did ATI, it's exactly the same thing. It really, um, and not, not that it was purely ATI, but it just so happens that they were doing this. And that created a deep resentment between most of the kids and the, and the parents. And it was really sad to see. And some of those relationships are still completely destroyed to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them, but it, yeah. It, it and did and I, that, 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 that matches with, I mean, I didn't keep in touch with a lot of ATIA people and kind of purposely put it in the rear view mirror, but some have resurfaced on Facebook and I bumped into a few here and there. And, and, you know, I, the you know the experience you've seen and that i've seen in my family that you, that you saw in your friend's family and that i see in my family it's like definitely a to me a broader phenomena across mm-hmm. those kinds of families um wow that's sad i, I and i know a lot of the, those things are out there in different ways but um i'm curious because the, the more you've been sharing about like i'm going to college you were doing journalism at a very early age it's 16 17 what was this something that just developed over your childhood or were there particular things that were going on in your life and in your upbringing that got you so that you were that far down that road so early on? Um, I mean, I think it was a bit random and a bit, uh, you know, and like random in one sense. And then, but in my view, it was made providential. And I tell my students and I've helped a lot of young people get into journalism now but, um, you know, I had, you know, so I, I basically had great mentors and I had the ability because again, you know, the flip side or the positive side of, of taking a GED and basically having a couple of years to figure out what to basically grow up and work before I was supposed to, I, journalism was the thing I happened to get, you know, thrown into providentially or okay. randomly or whatever. And, and, you know, and, and, um, and I, I do believe it was providential and I do, I did enjoy it and the experiences that I had and, um, you know, probably would choose the same path again, you know, definitely journalism. I love journalism and, and doing it, but like the exact same path, I can't say if I would or would not choose it, but it was, it just is what it is. And, and it frankly was special that like, yeah, by the time I got to college, you know, uh, I was, you know, in, in South Dakota to go from, to be, you know, I applied to Princeton, for example, couldn't get in. I didn't have wow. the test score. You know, when I was applying to eight schools in Indiana and South Dakota, I'm like, what the heck? I'd like to go to Princeton. I'd like to walk onto the wrestling team and work at the school paper. And maybe I've done the kind of things in journalism and have a weird life that might impress them. Well, um, I don't know where I made it to. I had an interview or something, but I didn't get it selected. No, no surprise there because I was not groomed for that kind of school nor did i have the test score but you know for someone though to go to a state school in south dakota and to win the kind of national awards that i did in college in journalism and to do the frankly the quality of work um that i did in feature writing and various things and to then you know and and to to get internships and um uh different places and end up at the wall street journal which i where i spent 10 years like that is pretty impressive and pretty rare I mean, I think the odds, my class, I was at, I was also an intern at the Washington Post and half my class was from Ivy League schools. And, um, and, and so uh, undoubtedly the experience I had 
with homeschool freeing up time, you know, for me to find mentors and go deep basically and, and advanced on a topic or field of work like journalism, um, you know, paid off in some ways. And, and I think my, you know, learning, you know, the, the character qualities you go over on diligence and all these different things, like all that factored in. Um, uh, but, you know, journalism may be, a, again, a unique field where, and, and maybe, you know, it used to be even at that time I was getting into it, it was a rare field where you maybe didn't necessarily have to have a degree, but 10% of people maybe didn't have a degree getting into it. Now it's much less than that. And it's, it's hard to get into. I think you can, as a high school kid, you can still kind of break into it. And I give people tips on how to like start to kind of break into it a little bit in high school and then how to, how to go up the stairway while you're in college to help yourself, you know, get a job in this field. Um, but uh, I can't remember what your original question is now, but, but I, you know, I am, I guess I'm, I'm somewhat grateful. Yeah. That, that, um, that, you know, I don't know if I'm, I, but I, I, I think honestly though, that here's another point. <laughs> so in one sense, I'm grateful that, uh, that homeschooling or, or a family, the, the, the pattern of our lives allowed me to do and flourish in journalism as I did. At the same time, the funny thing is that, you know, my parents homeschool community in general uh, doesn't really like journalism. It's one of the fields that are not godly or not approved. It's, I think I felt and heard that it's kind of like, okay, this is a cool thing Paul's doing now, but he's really going to go to law school or really going to go into, you know, politics or something, or, you know, certain fields are kind of approved in Christian culture and in homeschool culture, ministry, you know, business where you can make a lot of money to like help fund the homeschool movement and take, take care of your family. Um, uh, missions, you know, maybe law, uh, politics, this kind of stuff. But then, and, and certainly some others, but the trades, construction, maybe, you know, but, uh, but journalism, art, you know, um, maybe uh, some aspects of you know, some, you know, I can't say music, but theater, some of these are seen as dangerous, um, uh, culturally bereft and things like that. And so, you know, uh, in that sense, uh, you, I always felt too, yeah, like the, the Christian homeschool movement thinks that people like me who were going into journalism were going in for a purpose to destroy journalism and rebuild it in our own image, you know, and that's, um, there was a lot of pressure and programming around that. And with mentors and things like I had to learn to deprogram that. And basically I'm doing journalism because I enjoy um, truth telling, reporting, writing, the actual skill sets. Um, and I can recognize there's different biases and worldviews and all that stuff that, that play in here, but that's, that falls into ethics and standards debates and management. And, you know, it's not just the framework and lens that the Christian and homeschool world have, because frankly, the left, if that's the conservative Christian, right? Like the left progressive left has its own framework and thinks that, you know, media caters too much to the, you know, to the right and is owned by the right and all this capitalist and stuff. So they, you know, there's two very, I think two very polarized views on media. And then, you know, from that and from, you know, there's, there's sort of, truth about news media and it's all very complex and a big thing to discuss we could talk about for for hours in and of itself but <laughs> yep. but but i had to deprogram you know the uh 
the homeschooler mentality toward the industry that I was going into, you know, because it, it wouldn't have worked. I mean, like a, nobody wants to hire someone with that kind of mentality typically um, at least not the places I worked at high levels, you know, um, and nor, nor did I believe it was completely accurate, the operating system, you know, that about the, uh, the media that the, the homeschool world kind of had. It's interesting. Cause I, I hadn't, I had not heard that sort of, um, bias at that time. Nowadays, things are, are so heavily, um, very polarized regarding oh, the media yeah. or journalism. So uh, now I would hear and believe that is out there drastically. It wouldn't have dawned on me that that attitude was a part of what you grew up with as well. And it could just be because I was never in, I was never approaching journalism. That was, in, even though my mom was an author, she wasn't a journalist in the same sense. And so I never had that sense that that was sort of looked down upon in the homeschool community. That's a new sort of piece hmm. of data um, it, it does sort of make sense as you've described it though, that there is a general attitude or, or especially was a general attitude about what would have been looked upon as better versus lesser. So, mm -hmm. but I had never considered that journalism was, you did answer the question by the way, that, cause it was really getting at this idea of what brought you, what brought you into this world of journalism that, that obviously has become a foundational part of your, of your career. I mean, this is who you are in your career and starting at such a young age and then continuing on. And just when you read your story, there was a very clear sense of that. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do. Like it was, it comes across, you have one of the most um, I'd say confident stories of all of them, hmm. which is fascinating because so many of these stories take a take a left or a right turn after hmm. they're written yours doesn't really yours is yeah, just like oh. the steady true hey paul is still doing this and he's he's very serious about it and it's a very important part of who he is so it's it's, it's fascinating to me to hear that yeah um so yeah i feel really lucky i don't think so many people like connect to something when you're a teenager that like really sticks with you that much. And, you know, some people have even journalists, friends of mine, kind of some wandered around, did a lot of different things and ended up in journalism. Um, so I feel kind of, I mean, either way is fun and fine, but I've really, I enjoy that. Like I'm never bored. Like never, <laughs> I like always have something yeah. to read and a million things to do and think about. Yeah. And like, um, I've never been bored and never, and always enjoyed work, you know, what, what for, 20 30 years of working life <laughs> when you love to learn it seems mm -hmm. you you enjoy learning which is, my wife is the same way the idea of college is highly appealing because she loves to learn and mm -hmm. um so that sort of um yeah it, it comes across very obviously as i'm talking to you that, that that's the way you are um so if you if you wouldn't mind then just continuing sort of progressive or or almost chronologically you're in school you got this full ride and you continue through you graduate with your bachelor's and you but you kept moving on educationally what sort of happens with let's say post bachelor's what does start what does life start to look like as you you finish your first stage of college and start going on to other things 
Did yeah. you get to work right away? Were you doing internships? Did you go directly to a master? Because don't, don't you have a master's or a PhD? You have a PhD, I think. No, I have two. Uh, I have an MBA and a and a master's. So okay. two, two grad degrees. Um, yeah. I mean, one funny thing, too, is like, you know, I don't know if people have talked to you about uh, like when I went to college as an old, like a slightly older student, it was very funny. I had to like learn how to dress and interact. I didn't get satire, <laughs> like homeschool yeah. people in the world. Also, those of us like, basically I was a kid who was working with adults at a newspaper on an editorial page, writing about international affairs and things like, and I go to college and like, I really did not know how to interact with peers. It was very funny. And I, and I endured, frankly, like probably some ridicule at times and learning how just to like be a college kid. And what's funny, you know, and I remember like college right. kids, college friends trying to like, you know, introduce me to like Adam Sandler movies or very stuff. Oh, like wow. That. Yeah. Like to try to, you know, help, you know, so, so uh, over time, yeah, like to speed up then to, you know, I graduate, I end up with kind of like, wow, these kind of amazing internships and um, Indiana and then Wall, Wall Street Journal in San Francisco and then. Washington DC at the Washington Post and New York City at the Wall Street Journal. And so I was like rapidly kind of, you know, as a person, I think thrust into kind of and interviewing like, you know, some of the richest people, powerful people, all this stuff and you're a homeschool kid, right? Yeah. And so I, I frankly was, you know, culturally there was so many references I didn't get. And I, I kind of started realizing in college and, and then in my early twenties working that like, I need to catch up. So I became a voracious like, watcher of all the old films academy award-winning films and trying to back read and frankly college i love that i got to read great books that the homeschool world like i remember bringing right. ovid love poems book and it had a naked you know renaissance painting yes. woman or something on there. my mom was like there's a breast on the book you know yep. Yep. so you know and so like i'm i, I got very fat you know I just wanted to voraciously read everything, watch you know plays and films and and just kind of catch up and go beyond and that was kind of a big part of my life. And then also just, um, I, I was always, you know, faithful to church and finding, trying to find church community. Um, and it, I think like things like playing sports and um, trying to, and just like having a good friend in different places I lived that you could have a beer with and, you know, and just learn from other people's experiences, people who weren't homeschooled, like, just an interesting process. So I think professionally, I knew what I was doing. Professionally, I knew how to find stories and report and write things. And I was building up cultural knowledge. So I wasn't kind of, you know, missing pieces of cultural knowledge. But I'd say even to this day, I sometimes come across like pieces of cultural knowledge that a lot of people would have that I don't. And I still mm -hmm. feel, frankly, that like sometimes I come across as, you know, I do have a sense of humor, I think, but like sometimes my humor, like my, I come across as uh, still that homeschooled person that was grew up too fast and is too serious you know and 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 every once in a while just still is duped you know have an increasing sense of satire and irony and all these things but like yes. you know still probably miss stuff sometimes so that's kind of funny or un, you know or interesting to me but um let's see the uh yeah but i think uh, did i miss anything in the question in terms of like, no no i mean it's because it's really looking at you know these the the next steps, like what began to unfold. So, and at some point you got married and you had kids. So was that after school? Is that more recent? When, when did all that start taking place amongst this journey of yours? Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, so Matt, I'll come to that question. Mm -hmm. I've had a, I don't know how long you want, you need to go. Um, 
I have, I blew my knee out and I get physical therapy. So I've, I rescheduled from five 30 to six to start at six 30. Yep. But if we need more time, I could either call them and move that back or I could, um, or, you know, no, let's, let's do this. So typically what happens, and this is actually the perfect time to do this. Typically what happens is I end up doing a part two because there's so mm. many really neat things. And a lot of times just the beginning sort of opens up um, sort of a new reality. And there's so many things that can be discussed. Mm. So I would say if you're okay with it, I this is a them. great part one. I would mm -hmm. love to just schedule a part two and we pick up because it's sort of like, okay, you're in school, you're in school, you're in college. Mm. Now what? Because we haven't really gotten to what, what happens now with your school. Yeah, so, yeah sure. Um, yeah. And Should that I would... answer this question then? And then we stop there or? Sure. Go ahead and tell, tell me about real quick when you got married and we'll, we'll plug in. Yeah. So I think, cause yeah, cause I had an answer in my mind. So I'll end the, you know, end with this answer. So basically yeah, to answer your question on, on, you know, marriage and family, you know, I, <laughs> I think that I had to be a parent to my younger siblings. Um, and that wasn't really normal. And, and I think even some people, you know, I, I, I basically picked up from, <laughs> I won't name who, but like, there's a few older, even homeschool dads who basically told me like, dude, don't rush to get married and have a ton of kids. Like, you know, put your career first, you know? And I listened to that. And um, in addition to like being behind on cultural knowledge, I was really behind on, I was, you know, the courtship culture of ATIA was such that you were, Oh yeah. I mean, we can pick this up in part two, but I, I really now looking back, think that, um, huge disservice to women and, and viewing women as second class citizens and, um, uh, okay. And then also in the relationship between men and women, I, you know, tons of awkwardness. And, and so, um, and frankly, a denial of oneself to like, you know, uh, so, Okay. In short. So then I basically rejected the courtship culture. I tried to start figuring out how to date. I think I had a girlfriend in college for a couple of years and, you know, I met through Bible study and then, but, and decided I still wasn't, I wasn't ready to settle down and get married. I needed to prior, I had opportunities with wall street journal. And I realized like, I don't need to sacrifice that opportunity. And I didn't feel called to be married at that point. So I just, um, I, I, you know, listen to some mentors and followed what I felt was my calling and my path. And, um, and frankly, um, also over time, then I did date, I'd say quite a few different women and sometimes for four months, six months, the longest for like a couple years. And, but I was trying to figure out like kind of what high school kids have to learn of basic interactions, basic yes. relationships. And honestly, like, how do you to respect and like how to determine someone's character? Like, um, and I'm, I'm so I didn't get married to answer your question until I was 33 or 34. And I think I consciously realized like I need to get off the roller coaster of sort of dating and, you know, and, and if, cause if you just keep, you know, sometimes you're, you're missing someone who you, you should meet. And, and so, and I, and I really did realize I wanted to be a dad and have kids and, you know, and a, a, sp a lifelong spouse and all this a wife at, at the right time. But uh, so um, I can tell you the story of how I met my wife later, uh, uh, I think in part two, but, but it was an interesting journey to consciously realize like, Hey, frankly, in my twenties and thirties, I need to be a little bit of a kid. 
I need to be like, and I hate, you know, uh, but because I, the things I was forced to grow up so fast to be a parent and to be a working person in, in my teenage yeah. years, you know, back to this hothouse theme that, that I missed some things in human development. I missed, and, and frankly, um, I think had I gotten married to people, my parents might've wanted me to get married to in a courtship setting at age 20, 21. Like, I don't know how happy I'd be, how successful I'd be professionally, um, how good of a husband or father I would be right now. Um, you know, maybe I'd be great. I don't know. But, but I think just at least how I see God planning it out in my life. I, you know, I met my wife um, on a scavenger hunt at Grand Central Station and she doesn't come wow. from a homeschool family. She comes from a you know Greek Orthodox family. Grew up um, with a, a father who was an immigrant to America, and like um, and I feel grateful that I met for me the perfect woman who God had for me, and um, and certainly you know kind of someone I would never have expected. I think uh, growing up in South Dakota and, and you know the homeschool world I grew up in. Um, so I think that's where. Maybe I end for now. Yeah, I know it's a good spot because you you I've been writing notes down because you just brought up some other things that are just like, oh my gosh, we need to go back and ask about this and this and this. Cause you just raised some of those other core issues um about your experience with with girls growing up, dating, not dating. Um anyway, so I'm I'm excited because there's all these really neat things I want to hear from you about your experiences. So but no, that's fantastic because I want to make sure we can respect your appointment. And uh, but um, yeah, I'll contact you and send you an email. And then yeah, definitely let's set up a part two and we okay. can go from here. And it was really nice. I appreciate it. it's so nice to actually meet people that I've never met but I've known about for a long time. And, yeah. Uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm very much looking forward to to hearing more. So thanks. Yeah, this is a an unusual and fun. Uh experience <laughs> that's that's the uh, description i i actually get a lot is it is unusual but i don't know i it is it is good for me and i and i think especially it's good for people to hear because you may not realize but the things that you talk about are going to hit people and you alluded to this but they're going to hit people in ways you would never imagine and you're you're going to say things that people are going to go oh my gosh he just said that and i didn't never connect that and so i already can hmm. tell with some of the things you've been talking about it's going to do some really good for people because they're going to be thinking about things that they need to be thinking about. And that excites me. So, but yeah, in one sense too, it's kind of like therapy. Um, and I'm, but I'm also trying to be yep. careful that like, I, you know, I'm trying to tell you what I, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a podcast, so other people are going to listen to it. So, and my, my, my whatever I tell you, I want to be okay with my parents and siblings listening yes. to, Yep. Um, and friends that I'm not like intentionally hurting people and it might hurt people, but that, um, but that I've already said these things to them or would say them to them now, yeah. because I think it's loving, even if it is hurtful, you know, and to that point, actually, I, I did a full one with my mom ahead of time, just to make sure there was everything that I think that I might be saying, we've already talked about for the same reason, there is an issue of respect for our parents, whether we agree or disagree with, you know, a lot or whatever. There is an issue of respect. And because the goal is not to badmouth, the goal is just to be authentic with that intrinsically has to be respect. And I think everything you've been saying so far, nothing has come across to me as disrespectful in any way. So, um, but anyways, I want to let good, you go. Good. I know you got your appointment. So Paul, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'll get a hold of you and we will go to part two next. Sounds good, Matt. Thanks. All right. Take care, Bye. sir. Bye.
Have a good one. Bye.